All right. Well, thank you so much for letting me be here today. It is an honor. It's a joy. It's a privilege. And truthfully, I believe it's a blessing for the opportunity to spend the next brief amount of time with you guys. Uh, I'm Jared Wilson, and I've lived in Brazoria County for about 13 and a half years now. Uh, so I've called it home for quite a while, and it is uh, here I am in the city of entrapment. And uh, and. <laughs> It looks like there's no leaving. Um, so anyways, uh, I look forward to, to the time with y'all. A little bit about myself. Well, um, this is my family right here. I'm married to Erin Wilson, an amazing uh, woman. We've been married for a little over 14 years, and we have three kiddos. We've got Lily. She's 11. We've got Bella. She is 7. And then we got Leo right there, our surprise. He is three. And I know what you're thinking as you look at our family picture. You're thinking, man, Jared... Y'all really dress up for your family portraits, I know. Um, No, this is not necessarily our best family portrait, but it is a very fitting one for today because when I told my middle child, the the phoenix in the middle there for... Uh, at Halloween time, when I told her that I was going to be speaking at Grace today, her eyes got very large and her mouth dropped open and she goes, Daddy, you are speaking at the full-size candy bar church? And I said, I said, yes, Bella. Yes, I am. So I don't think since Jesus' feeding of 5,000 has there been anything so legendary and miraculous in my children's eyes come Halloween time than Grace and the full-size candy bars. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you don't go to the right neighborhood. I'm just saying. Because you guys are legendary in their eyes. So yes, I'm going to have to pick up a full-size candy bar on the way home today just to keep the legend alive. and so that they, they, they still know Grace as the church with the full-size candy bars. So yes, so that's my kiddos. And just uh, a little bit about you, uh, my family, my wife and I, we met in South Florida. Uh, we, we married actually on the beach in South Florida. And we've always kind of had a passion, a joy, and a love for going to the beach. A, because it's cheap or free. And two, because it's just relaxing. And so uh, we have passed on our joy for the beautiful South Florida waters to our children. And they've fallen in love with the chocolatey brown uh, gulf about as much as we fell in love with the water in South Florida. And so uh, these are my three kiddos actually at one of our, you know, our beach goings. And what what we usually do is they're usually kind of impromptu get-togethers because whenever we say we're going to the beach, it better deliver because if it doesn't deliver, then we have some pretty upset kids, right? So one morning we woke up when my son was one and we said, you know, let's do a impromptu go to Surfside Beach and have some good times this morning. So I put on the SPF 5000 and uh, we gathered all of our supplies, which if you have children and you've ever taken them to the beach, you know how easy that is to accomplish, right? Um, So first off, you're trying to find all the gear, and then you're trying to get them in their suits, and then you're trying to make sure they're sunblocked everywhere, and you're trying to find everything and sandproof the vehicle, and then you're trying to get out of the garage and get there without leaving one of the kids behind, and we eventually got there successfully, and as we pull up into the beach with my children all very excited, we noticed something that was not so exciting. There were warning signs posted, and there were red flags flying. So we saw the, the warning signs, we saw the red flags, and then my wife and I, like everyone else would do, looked at the water. And the water did not match the flags. In fact, they didn't even seem like it was, they were on the same day. I mean, uh, the water was completely calm. There were no waves. There was no storm clouds. There was no breeze. There was nothing to alarm us on the surface as we looked at the ocean. But there were these red flags 
flying. So, you know, being parents with better judgment, we decided we're going to go down anyways, because clearly these flags are a mistake, right? They were from a previous day, and just nobody's come around and taken them down. So we went down to the beach, and again, we were doing what you normally do at Surfside Beach. We were getting very dirty, and so my kids were playing in the grant, you know, the dirt, and the, they were uh, collecting a bunch of seashells to bring home that dad always accidentally forgets at the beach, and they were building their sand castles and just having kind of a good time. And truthfully, those red flags at this point in my life are the furthest thing from my mind, right? Like, I'm not thinking about those warning signs. I'm not thinking about the red flags. Everything is okay. We're having a good time. Everything appears safe until it didn't. See, I, my back was to the ocean. I was about knee deep in the water and I was watching my kids play and I was just kind of enjoying feeling the water on my legs until I felt this rogue wave just roll past me. And I watched as it lifted my one-year-old up and dragged him about 200 feet away from me. Now, I would love to tell you that my first instinct was like Superman, and I swept to his, his safety like you know, faster than a speeding bullet. That is not my initiatory response. I was frozen in shock. I mean, how could this happen? Sure, there were red flags, but the ocean looked safe. Yeah, there were warning signs, but there was nothing that looked dangerous, and we were having a good time. There was seemed no reason that anything like this should take place, yet it did. Now, spoiler alert, I did, I did come to my senses, and I did snatch up my son before he got dragged too far out into the ocean. But I learned a very sobering lesson in that moment about taking heed and notice of the red flags in my life. Well, today, uh, we're going to be uh, touching on a subject that is uh, quite complicated and difficult. We're going to be talking about sexual addiction and pornography, that much like a rogue wave, or a tsunami for that matter, is rolling through and it is wrecking havoc on people's lives, their marriages, and even the church. And it is coming in with a destructive nature, and most of the time we don't even see it until it's already rolled past. Now, I know this is a difficult uh, subject to talk on today, and uh, part of the reason I know it's so difficult is just because of the complexity in the room. I mean, let's just think about the complexity in this very room right now. There are some of you in this room that have probably yet to experience human intimacy. Now, there are some of you in this room that may have been extremely promiscuous. Now, there may be some of you in this room that have dealt with sexual abuse. There are some of you in this room that may have a very healthy intimacy life with your spouse. There may be some of you in this room that struggle with same-sex attraction. There may be some of you in this room that say you've never had any trauma in your life, yet when your spouse touches you, you freeze up. There may be some of you in this room that are addicted to pornography and self-gratification. There is so many things, and this list could go on and on and on. Yes, I understand that, and it's complex, and it's messy, and it's difficult, and I'm going to guess that it's making a few of you a little bit uncomfortable in your seats right now as I talk. But just keep in mind, no matter how uncomfortable and awkward you are in your seat, I'm the one giving the message, and my mama is sitting right there listening to me. So I've got you beat this morning, okay? Um, <laughs> so much like a potential danger of that Gulf Coast wave, the destructive nature and the enormous scope and scale of pornography addiction is hidden from the masses. And just like that wave nearly devastated my family's life by pulling my son so far out into the ocean, 
The wave of sexual sin is often not seen until it's too late. And while the water may look calm, leading us to think that we're safe, even though those red flags are flying, pornography addiction is gaining size and momentum. And those red flags are flying. But if you're not paying attention, you'll miss them. Now, fortunately, the Bible offers a very detailed account on the progression of sexual addiction and, and sinning in that action. And it also gives us a very detailed account on some of the red flags that we can note in our lives and the lives for those around us, whether it's your team or it's a friend. And please realize, due to the nature of this subject and the complexity of it, as I've already kind of discussed, there'll come times when I may paint this with broad uh, brushstrokes through some scripture and some very, you know, alarming and startling statistics. You're going to walk away with a big picture idea of the problem and, Lord willing, some tools to equip you with on how to find freedom from it. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Samuel 11. If you don't have your Bible today or you don't have a Bible app on your phone, we're going to share the scripture up here. If you do have your Bible and you don't know where 2 Samuel is, it's in the Old Testament, that first half of the Bible. Uh, and if you need to use your table of contents, it is a judge-free zone because we're not in judges. That's my one pastor joke for today, okay? Um, <laughs> The only one, I promise. Uh, but we're, we're going to be looking at some scriptures, just four verses today, okay? So I'm going to go ahead and go through those verses with you, all right? In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. From where you're sitting, as I read these scriptures, it's pretty clear to see the red flags, right? That are flying here. Like, they're, they're, it's not just red flags. Like, there's like a warning. Like, there's, there is a warning sign here. Like, clear as day. Truly, there is some issues with these scriptures as David, a man after God's own heart, stumbles blindly into sin right? I mean, it's easy to see where he tripped up. It's easy to see the errors he made. It's easy to see how this progressed into what ultimately was sexual sin. And yet, as easy as it is to see the red flags in King David's life, why do we miss those same red flags in our own lives? You know, it may come as a surprise to you, that monthly pornography use among non-Christian men, 65%, and Christian men, 64%, is virtually identical. It may also come as a surprise to you that monthly pornography use among women is 32%. And I understand that these, these statistics might be surprising to you because they would also suggest that three-fifths of the men in this very room and one-third of the women in this very room have viewed pornography in the last month. These statistics would also suggest to you that that means the 36% of men and 68% of women that said that they don't struggle with this were telling the truth. 
And I struggle with that statistic because if you're going to lie, we generally don't lie to sound worse. We lie to sound better, correct? So we can guess and assume that these statistics are probably even a little bit worse than what we have here. Now, before you bow up and you say, Jared, you don't understand grace. You don't understand our church, our culture here. There's no way this statistic could actually apply to our church. I mean, you don't know the people here. I need you to understand that, that sin is not selective. It's not exclusive to just some people. Satan is a roaring lion looking around for, for, for people to devour. He doesn't just see one group and say, I'll, 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 I'll back off. No, he, it is not exclusive. So yes, this does apply to your church. And even if you personally don't struggle with an addiction to pornography, just based on these statistics, it is easy to assume that somebody in your small circle does. So even if you don't struggle, let's see what we can take from this and how we can help others in find freedom from pornography. So let's go ahead and look at red flag number one, which is isolation. Okay, now you need to understand something about me. I am a former high school art teacher. I taught down in Bport for uh, uh, four or five years, and I have a little PTSD when it comes to people falling asleep while I'm talking. So if you see something underlined, you have a little bit of an assignment today. You need to read those out loud with me, okay? That's all you got to read is just the underlined part. Can you all handle that? All right, excellent. Okay, so in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men in the Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained in Jerusalem. Yes, that's 2 Samuel 11, 1. So in the season without rain, in the season when all the kings go off to war, when all the kings are among the community of their other men serving a common purpose and a common goal, where is King David? He's isolated. He stayed back. David was not where he was supposed to to be. And my guess is, had David actually been where he was supposed to be, this would have been a really short chapter in the Bible. But David chose to be isolated. David chose to stay home. And all that created was opportunity for sin to happen. You know, pornography addiction is defined as a relational disorder. And the growing statistics to support this impact on isolation is increasing at an uncanny rate. Just look at these statistics that we have. The percentage of men in each age group who view porn at least once a month. 18 to 30-year-olds, 79%. If you drop down to 50 to 68-year-olds viewing at least once a month, it's still 49%. Then you look at men that are viewing at least several times a week. 18 to 30-year-olds, 63%. And 50 to 68-year-olds, it's still a one in four men are viewing several times a week. And then with women, you have percentage of women in each age group viewing at least once a month. 18 to 30-year-olds, 34%. And 50 to 68-year-olds, you have one in 10 women are viewing at least once a month. Friends, the significance of these shocking statistics shows how deeply rooted pornography has become in our society. These statistics validate the red flag of isolation. And if the correlation is uniquely intertwined, let's consider the deaths that can occur due to isolation. Well, first, you have the slow death 
of marriage. While roughly 50% of marriages fail in divorce, uh, pornography is cited as a significant source in 56% of divorces. So let's just think about it. If the odds of a marriage failing is roughly 50%, and that's inside and outside of the church, and then you look at that and you say more than half of those divorces note pornography as a significant reason, then if you are in this room and you are dealing with pornography, you are playing with dynamite. You're playing with fire. It's dangerous. The second death that you occur is a death of healthy sexuality. Time magazine, you know, a real good conservative Christian magazine, in 2016 reported that before internet pornography, only 5% of men under 40 had ED or erectile dysfunction. But today, 33% of men report erectile dysfunction known as PIED, porn-induced erectile dysfunction. Now, if you're sitting in this room and you never heard of PIED, it is a real thing. In my ministry, I have many men that come through the ministry that no longer are attracted to the real thing. Because, why? They have conditioned themselves over years, decades for that matter, with high-speed internet and unlimited resources online to be attracted to that which is airbrushed, photoshopped, fake, does whatever they want when they search for it, and have unlimited access to whatever they want to look at. So much so that the real thing no longer, as God created it, has the same pull in their marriage. It's a real issue. It's a real concern. The next death is the slow death of a heart to serve God. Of all of them, this one possibly makes me the most angry at Satan. A church-going man that never or rarely views pornography has a one in three chance of serving in the church. And that just makes sense, right? None of us are perfect. Um, We are all saved by grace. Thank God for that. Uh, You know, we are all sinners needing a savior. And if you are sinning occasionally, you have a one, you know, like a roughly a a one in three chance you're going to serve in the church. However, if you're viewing pornography monthly, that drops to a one in 10 chance of serving in the church. If you're viewing pornography weekly, that drops to a 1 in 20 chance of serving in the church. And if you're a church-going man that's viewing pornography daily, the odds of you serving in your church is almost zero. It doesn't register. So clearly, Satan has figured out a very, very strategic, easy way to neutralize us from taking our next steps and serving God and reaching the community and sharing his light with the world. He's found a way to shut that door and snuff that light out. Let's look at red flag number two. Poor guardrails. And y'all remember your assignment, right? 2 Samuel 11, 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. So at first glance, this really doesn't seem that bad. It seems pretty innocent, honestly. I mean, what's wrong with a a late night stroll? What's wrong with getting a little bit of fresh air, a little bit of exercise if you're restless, right? It seems innocent enough. Well, in my my house, in my family, we have a saying, and it is, nothing good happens after 11. So when my wife and I first got married, we started saying this, and it was more as a joke at the time, because we found that most of our 
uh, nonsense arguments that seemed to get very heated always happened late at night when we were tired, grumpy, and no longer thinking logically anymore, right? So nothing good happens after 11 was pretty much an ongoing motto in our house. But we have found over the last 14 years for that to be pretty sound wisdom as a reminder that when you are up late, when you are up and you are alone with lack of accountability, with lack of supervision, when you're left to your own devices— you can make some pretty stupid choices, right? We need guardrails in our life. We need reminders. So for us, nothing good happens after 11 is a guardrail. We need to be in bed together. Uh, that, That is just basically how it goes for us in our house. You see, unchecked, we can create nearly inescapable temptations. And the smartphone has further complicated this for us. Before 2011, less than half of teens had access to smartphones. But today, 95% of teenagers in the U.S. either own or have access to a smartphone. And likewise, children under the age of 10 now account for 22% of online pornography consumption for those under the age of 18. Let that sink in. So simply put, we have an entire generation that's being raised on adult content and can literally see more skin in five minutes than your grandpa saw in a lifetime. Friends, without setting up guardrails, you and your children are on a collision course with danger. And just think about how accessible pornography is today. It's accessible on our phones. It's accessible on our laptops, our desktops. It's accessible on our watches. It's accessible on our video game systems. It's accessible on our smart TVs. It's even accessible on a black and white Kindle book. It's accessible in so many ways. And anybody questioning the highly addictive nature of pornography, just look at this graph that's going to be up on the screen showing you the amount of dopamine that's released by pornography. You know, there are only three man-made stimulants producing more dopamine than sex. You've got meth, cocaine, and pornography. And none of them have a longer-lasting dopamine release than pornography. None of them. It is highly addictive, so much so and so easily accessible that many people are now referring to pornography as the new drug. And the problem with the new drug is that it's pretty easy to access. I mean, it's easier than getting a glass of water because to get a glass of water, you have to actually get up to get the drink, right? Um, it's, it's very scary. And unless we're prepared to start setting up guardrails in our lives to keep us from veering off course into dangerous terrain, the new drug is going to guide you and your children astray. Now, I also want to point out where guardrails are set up, right? If you're driving down the highway and you come to a hill, you don't put a guardrail at the bottom of the hill, correct? That doesn't make sense because by the time you go off the road and reach that guardrail, you're in deep doo-doo, right? That is not going to do anything to save your life if it's in the danger zone at the bottom of a hill. If you're going around a cliff, putting a guardrail at the bottom of the cliff is not going to keep you safe. That's in the danger zone. And by the time you reach that it's not going to do any good. I would even argue that guardrails shouldn't be set up right on the line between the danger zone and the safety zone. It's too close. I would argue guardrails need to be still somewhat within the safety zone on the road 
before you've left the road, correct? They don't do much good the moment you've left the road. You're already in the danger zone. So in your life, guardrails need to be set up in the safety zone. So what do guardrails regarding this look like for you and your family? Well, I have a few examples that might be able to help. One is maybe you place your computer in a centralized location. Take it out of the study in the back room where you can shut the door and put it in a centralized location. Install filters like covenant eyes or safe eyes on your electronic devices so that somebody has access to what it is you're viewing. Maybe you take a break from smartphones or social media for a little while. Maybe you, uh, your a husband and a wife have access to each other's um, you know, electronic devices and the history on those electronic devices. Here's a fun game on the way home. Ask your spouse to look at their history on the drive home. Someone's going to hate me. Um, limit your technology access. Don't take your cell phone or your tablet into the bathroom. Maybe you place everyone's cell phones and electronics in a centralized location. My sister Julie does this. They have a charging station and everyone puts their devices in the same spot at nighttime. They don't take them to their rooms. Now I know what some of you are already thinking. You're thinking, Jared, that sounds good, but that doesn't work. My phone is my alarm clock. I have a novel idea for you buy an alarm clock. All right, Jared, you don't understand. I need my cell phone for work. I have a crazy idea for you. Get a work phone and leave it at work. Well, Jared, you don't understand. See, we could play that game all day long, but you need to understand something. When you compromise, Satan's foot is in the door. Compromise cannot have any room here. Why do you think Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut off. He was saying, you need to be radical in your decisions. And if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same results. What's the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. So, the next red flag that we're going to talk about is going to be content consumed. Second Samuel eleven two. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. So David has isolated himself, right? He's not where he's supposed to be. He's not paying attention to his guardrails. He's out strolling around at night. He's on the roof of the palace when he should be in bed. He really should be at war. But before we get into this verse, I need to explain something to you because you need to understand this verse in the context of Jewish culture at that time because, you know, public bathing is not real common here in this area. And while it's a really good way to get to know your neighbors and the county judge quickly, um, it's frowned on in Brazoria County. But in Jewish culture at this time, this may not have been so unusual. So let's kind of unpack that. First off, we don't know what she was bathing. She could have been bathing her face, her hands, her feet, her neck. Or she could have been bathing in her courtyard. All of these things would have been okay. They would have been normal. That said, if David is strolling around on the roof of his palace late at night, knowing that this is a common occurrence, he's already set himself up in a position where he may see content he should not be consuming. And David had the high ground. He had the vantage point to be able to look down and see what he wanted to see. It's also very, and and I'll actually, I want to point this out too. This really is not much different than you with your cell phone late at night, 
strolling through your social media feed, knowing that you're one or two clicks away or swipes away from seeing something very dangerous. It's not even really that different than you turning on Game of Thrones and knowing you're one or two scenes away from seeing some nudity. Now, I also want to talk about the progression of this verse. I love the Bible, how it lays out and unpacks this verse, because there's a progression that takes place here, right? From the roof, he sees a woman bathing, and the woman is very beautiful. Now, this verse could have read totally different. And again, we would have had a short chapter here. He could have said, King David saw a woman bathing, and he averted his eyes. It could have said, King David saw a woman bathing, and he fled like Joseph from Potiphar's wife. He saw a woman bathing, and he called for help, and he read many different things. But it didn't. What it says is, he saw a woman bathing, and King David looked and consumed and lusted long enough to note that she was very beautiful. Friends, the content that you allow in through your eyes will dictate the choices that you make. They will. And it shouldn't come as a surprise to you that in Matthew 5, 28, Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone that even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Should it come as a surprise to you that couples who watch pornography together are 318% more likely to commit adultery? No, it shouldn't. Because what we consume matters. What we what we take in matters. You know, you have your truck or your vehicle uh, out in the parking lot. When you need an oil change, you don't dump mud down there. Why? Because what your vehicle consumes matters. It matters. And the content we consume has a direct correlation on our future choices. As we're going to see with King David in this next red flag, red flag number four, ignoring accountability. Second Samuel 11.3 says, And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, Isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? She's married he's married. This verse just reeks of selfishness and lust and sin as they put God's desire to the side and ignore it. And King David, he's in the deep water now, right? That wave has rolled past. He's not thinking logically anymore. And as verse 4 clearly said, they slept together. You know, 2 Samuel eleven three does offer one nugget of beauty in this verse. Someone cared. Someone cared enough to tell King David, which I think would be a pretty bold statement, hey, she's, she's married, right? Someone spoke up with enough logic. And friends, you need people like this in your life. You need, you need people that know you. You need people that love you. You need people that invest in you. You need people that are willing to walk through the muck of life with you and speak truth to you. You need brother, Christian brothers. You need Christian sisters. You need friends to rally and champion alongside you because this journey is not designed to be done alone. And if sexual addiction is a relational disorder, get off your relational island and be known. Plug in. Serve. Take your next step. Find where you can serve here at the church. So where can you do that here? Where can you get to know people like that? Well, maybe you could 
get with guest services team or grace kids at my church that's what I do I'm plugged in with the children's ministry maybe you serve in the AV booth that is not what I do I would burn the building down Uh, maybe you join a life group join a discipleship group and then starting February 7th men's and women bible studies will be kicking off here maybe you get plugged into a men's and women's bible study you need to be known you need to start serving you need people in your life that know you And this is an excellent way to do that. Take your next step. You see, there's no doubt that the wave of pornography is like a tsunami. I've seen the destruction it can leave in my life. The hurt that can inflict on a wife. The opportunity stolen from your children. I've seen the joy that it steals in your life. I've seen how it leaves you feeling numb inside. I've seen how it steals opportunity to serve God. I've seen how it steals opportunity to uh, take your next steps. I've seen how it leaves you feeling full of shame, feeling worthless, feeling broken, feeling like God made a mistake. I know what that looks like. The list goes on. I get it. It's yucky. It's messy. It's complex. It's difficult. I would love to say I'm just the guy here that drew the short straw and got to address the really awkward elephant in the room today, Uh, but that's not the case. This message, it speaks to me too. I, I understand this message all too well. You see, in my life, I looked like I had it all together on the outside, right? My dad's a retired pastor. I grew up a preacher's kid. I knew all the right answers. I stepped over the line of faith at five. Uh, I married a woman that works in the church. Um, I, I, I had a pretty good image on the outside, but on the inside, I was a spiritual and emotional wreck. Why? Because I was addicted to pornography, much like other people. I had been sexually abused as a child. I was introduced to pornography at a very young age, and through all that, and then thanks to high-speed internet, I, I found myself stuck in a rut of addiction. Now, thankfully, God's grace, God's mercy, and God's patience was sufficient I remember reaching a point where I knew I had a good marriage. But if I ever wanted to have a great marriage, I needed to be willing to take a step back and be fully known. I didn't do this necessarily just to save my marriage. I did this because I wanted to be connected to God. Something that I had felt there had been a massive disconnection because I'd been chasing after something totally different for so Long. Now, today, my marriage is stronger than ever. It is, uh, it is in a beautiful place. And I lead a ministry called Fight Club, if you didn't notice the shameless plug on my shirt. And guys, what's the first rule of Fight Club? Don't talk about Fight Club. Right. Well, we talk about Fight Club every week in Fight Club. We break this rule every single week. So we have a ministry called Fight Club. And the whole purpose of Fight Club is where men 18 or older come together And some of these men have been addicted to pornography for decades. Some of them uh, are, I I had one guy who just got done with it, and he's about to get married, and he just wanted to start his marriage off right. And I said, man, I am so proud of you. I wish I'd been doing the same thing. We have a ministry where we we go over and unpack this through a three-month journey. We do it in the spring. We do it in the fall. And we, we basically walk through and equip people with tools to find freedom. And in in the last two years, we've now served over 40 
men in Brazoria County. Uh, we've also have a group in Virginia of six men, and we have a guy that's also gone through it in Arkansas as well. And it has been a very, very enlightening and encouraging opportunity to see people take their next steps and find freedom. So you'll see a QR code right there. I also see my email. I'm going to encourage you, if you're here today, and this has been something you have struggled with for so long, and you just can't get rid of it. It's that dirty little secret you can't shake. Don't wait. Be radical. Take your next step. Sign up. Today happens to be the last day to sign up for Fight Club. We start on Tuesday. It's completely free. It's done via Zoom at 9.15 at night. I could not make this more easily accessible for you to find freedom. I remember I spoke a year ago at a church. As I was leaving the parking lot after two services, I'm driving out of the parking lot, and someone gets out of their vehicle and literally stops my vehicle. And I rolled down my window and he said, I went to the first service. He had been crying. He said, I been, went to the first service. And I was so afraid to take my next step. I was so afraid to find freedom that I've just sat out in here and I almost watched you leave. Now, mind you, he has since gone through Fight Club and he has since found freedom. I just spoke to him just the other day, actually. And uh, it's been over a year now. And he told me, Essentially, that he is so grateful to have finally taken that next step. It's nothing I did, but it's what God did through the class. Be like him. Don't wait on this and let the opportunity pass. You know, in a lot of ways, you and I are a lot like this light bulb right here, right? We're a lot like this light bulb because what good is this bulb actually serving as it is right now. I mean, what job is it accomplishing in my hand? What is it doing? What value does it have? I mean, I guess it could be a paperweight, a very dangerous one, but I, it could be a paperweight. It really is not accomplishing much. The value is not really that noteworthy because it's not doing what it's designed and created to be done. In the same way, when we find ourselves in chains, after finding freedom from God, we just pick them on and hold on to them, and we disconnect from God, and we walk away from God and chase after sin, chase after lust. We disconnect from the source of the universe, God Almighty, and we start serving and worshiping these false gods, whether it's pornography or you fill in the blank. We disconnect. We become a lot like this bulb. We're not serving our purpose. We're not being used to our full potential because we are choosing to disconnect. It may be possible that you're here today and you've never stepped over the line of faith. You've never taken that opportunity to trust in Jesus. You've never taken the opportunity to find total freedom in God. I will warn you and encourage you today that don't stall. I, I applaud you for being here, but don't wait on the best choice you could ever make in your life in finding eternal freedom through God's grace. Why do I say that? Well, gosh, just two weeks ago, my dad was perfectly fine one second. Within 24 hours, he was in the ICU. It can happen that fast. It can happen that fast. Now, thankfully, God willing, he's, he's alive, he's healthy, and he's at home getting better. But don't stall. But a lot like this bulb, when we are disconnected, we're missing our purpose. But oh, 
Guys, if this bulb only knew its value, if it only knew what it was capable of, if it would just connect with its source, if it would reconnect with where it's supposed to be. I mean, in a lot of ways, we're the same way. Because when we are actually connected to our source and we are doing what we were designed and created to do, we shine God's light. We shine God's, his, his glory. And we are being used in the way that God created us to be used, to guide people to the light, to guide people in their next steps, to honor and glorify. You know, the Bible says in Romans uh, 10, 9, if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in our hearts that, that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We will be saved. Not it might be, could be, should be. We will be saved. You know, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. It's connection. You need to get connected with God. You need to be connected with the source. You need connection. And not only that, it says in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. Be the light of the world. Get connected. Be known. Take your next step. Find freedom. In a moment, I'm going to pray. If you've never stepped over the line of faith, uh, I'm going to pray for you first. And if you've never making that choice to trust in God, to, to put your, your, your faith in God, um, I'm going I'm to pray. And if you would just like to pray to yourself as I pray that, I would encourage you to do so. And then I'm going to pray for the rest of you in this room. I'm going to pray that you be bold and willing to take your next step in God as well. To find freedom from chains. To find freedom from sin. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I have made choices in my life that ultimately separate me from you. I know I'm not perfect. But Jesus, I know that you came a perfect man and you died in my place. You took my judgment. You took my sin on the cross. And then you defeated death so that I can find freedom in the perfect sacrifice. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. And I put my faith in you. Friends, if you just made that prayer, then you will be saved. And for the rest of you, Lord God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for them to be here today. Thank you for the opportunity to, to speak about this conversation. Thank you for the boldness of this church to be willing to tackle a difficult conversation. I pray for those that are here that may have strayed away, may be worshiping the wrong God, may be addicted to sin and slavery when they should be experiencing the freedom that they have in you. I pray, Father, that even today, chains will break. I pray that even today, Lord, they will find freedom. I pray that they'll be willing to be radical and take their next step and be known. Lord God, I pray that the Holy Spirit resonate in their lives and that lives find freedom in you. Amen.